Thank you. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Good morning. I definitely want to thank Pastor Chase and Sarah for allowing me to speak again. It's such a great honor. I said, I uh, told First Service that uh, they must have not got too much hate mail last time. Not too many or, or passages hit delete, delete, delete. Sometimes that's all right, too. Uh, let us pray. Holy Father, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord. Your presence is so heavy in this place already. I thank you, Lord, for it. I thank you, Lord. You, you are so deserving of glory and honor and praise and everything we can say about you, Lord. That's good. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. We thank you that it is finished. The hard part's done. We thank you for it, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts and our minds that we'll be able to understand your word and understand it correctly, that we might be able to become better children and witnesses, Lord, for you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Well, the last message, if you were here to heard me preach three months ago, I was talking about not bowing and not bending to culture. And I gave you an Old Testament example and I gave you a New Testament example before we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We looked at how Israel got taken into captivity. And if you recall, we also talked about Peter in the New Testament. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, our message uh, ended that time with the book of Malachi, which is the last chapter in the Old Testament. And we talked about how Malachi was so short but powerful book. And if you remember, I declared that the next six months would be different, that they were going to change. And so much has happened in three months and a lot of it in the last week alone. This time, today's message, if you will, this is the sequel of the other one, part two. It's called, Do You Know Who You Are? You see, it's easy for me. Last time I challenged you to go out and be cultural changers. And it's easy for me to say that, but it becomes extremely difficult to do that if you don't know who you are. So we're going to look at that real quick, the Malachi book, the, the church. You don't have to turn there. We know that last time Israel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about that, the king. Well, they finally got out of that. It was a hundred years they had been now living under Yahweh, God, getting the blessings, having church. They rebuilt the temple. They were allowed to do all of those things. It has been a hundred years since they had been delivered from their enemies, but things started changing in that book. The church, the people started changing. Sometimes we can get comfortable and our lives will start changing because of that comfortability. So what they did is the church the people going there, they became disinterested. They heard it all. Maybe they didn't need to hear it anymore. So their lives started changing. You see, they called themselves the children of Yahweh, but they didn't live like it. How was that? How much culture did they allow to slip in to where they were? How much culture did they allow to change them on who they were? You see, chapter one, when we read that Malachi uh, reprimands the people for offering blind and lame sacrifices to the church, which was against the law that Moses gave. So the question I asked then was, what are we giving to the Lord today? Are we giving him our best or are we giving him leftovers? What we can do, what, oh, well, I can let this go, but I'll hold on to this. Chapter two and three, Malachi then turns to the priest. They didn't get out of it. First he reprimands the people. Then he kind of went to the priest and said, it's your fault. Because 
you're not doing it either. You're setting a poor example for the people. You were, at that time, they were disrespecting their wives. They were practicing in divination and sorcery. Yeah, God's people. Lying, cheating employees, cheating each other in the business place. Then chapter four comes in and Malachi tells the consequence. This is what's going to happen to the good and the bad at the end of times. And he even, he even predicts and prophesies the coming of Lord Jesus, which happens. But how have we forgotten what God did for us? Are we in that same place of going through the motions? Have we forgotten like they forgot? Do we forget where God, uh, we don't remember where he brought us out of something that we were going through? If I asked a question to everybody in here, God ever got you through something? I'd probably get, yeah. Because I know with me, he gets through, I make a mistake and he gets me through that. I make a poor choice and he gets me through that, right? So what happened here? We should never allow our safes to get to ourselves to get to a place of comfort because when we do that, when we're comfortable, that will actually actually hinder our walk and it'll hinder the furthering of God's kingdom or where God can use us to do it. So do you know who you are? We're going to look at two examples again today and it's going to be one from the Old Testament, but this time we're going to talk we're going to look at David and then we're going to look at a couple in the New Testament, definitely Peter, but we're going to see Peter in a new light. So do you know who you are? Lifeway Research did some studies and they came out with what they called Christian mental health statistics. And I said, well, this should be interesting. 23% of the pastors acknowledge they have personally struggled with mental illness. 76% of churchgoers say the suicide is a problem and that it needs to be addressed in our community. 32% of the churchgoers say they have a, quote, a close acquaintance, a family member, or a friend that has committed suicide. 35% of Americans say that mental illness, and I had to read this twice, may be overcome with Bible study and prayer. I was like, what? 35%? So I found new CDC data, and this one hit me even harder. New CDC data shows that 44% of the teens in the United States report feeling persistently sad and hopeless. That's almost half of the teens in the United States. Where are the leaders? Where are the parents? Where are the mentors? That's the first thing that comes to mind. So I said, well, let me figure this out. So I started doing algebra. I'm not that good with algebra. I passed it. That's, all, that's good. You know, I got to be, look good. Half of our teens. So I, I tried to work the numbers. I said, okay, what's the total number of Christians or number of people in the United States? Well, that's 35%, 35% of Americans. How many of them are Christians? How, well, you know what? Let me back this down. How many of them are Protestant type of believers, Protestant religion? And then uh, basically the numbers wouldn't work. It's like less than 1%. So you could say that less than 1% of the Christians think Bible study and prayer would help. So do you know who you are? I said to myself, why are so many Christians living like those of Malachi? Did they get to a place of comfortable, too much, too much comfort? Did we just get disinterested? Where's the faith in God's word? Have we forgotten who we are? If I ask the question, who is David in the Bible? The first thing that comes to mind is David and Goliath. So we're going to look at that. Let's look at that in chapter, uh, what is it, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is where we're going to look. Let's face it, a lot of, we're going to fight a lot of battles today. And there's, it's going to come battle after battle after battle. But 
Knowing who you are makes a whole world of difference in how you're going to get through that battle. Dr. Tony Evans, his son, Jonathan Evans said, God chooses the faithful to face giants and to face battles for our strengthening and for his kingdom. These difficult times are part of every Christian's calling. Because of Christ's victory on the cross, anyone who puts their trust in him is more than a conqueror before they even step foot into the ring. God places you in situations where you can use your passion, your, op- your uh, opportunities, your abilities, and the experiences that he's brought you through to defeat any giant. So let's look at a giant. First Samuel, we're going to skip a bunch of verses in between because it's a great it's a great chapter, but it's long. And uh, I don't think we're going to be here three hours unless the Holy Spirit tells me to. But we're going to jump right now. We're going to look at some different key verses. Number one, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. So a battle begins. There's, there's a battle going to happen in life. Just because you go through one battle doesn't mean that you're going to be battleless. That's a word. The rest of your life you're going to go through something else. So a battle begins. Verse three, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between. Choices must be made. A battle, the battle or a life choice must be made. We're always presented with two choices or if not more, and we have to make the decision of which one we're going to take. Number four, there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. The battle or a life choice will always look bigger than you can handle. Samuel wanted us to know that. The writer of this book said, you know what? I'm going to start telling you something right here. As soon as the battle begins, you'll start looking at, wow, that's pretty big. That battle, six cubits in a span. Number five, he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 125 pounds. So he wore 125 pound metal chain mail. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin, a bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear had weighed 600 shekels of iron and the shield bearer went before him. Why such detail here? Why are we given such detail? Because the devil will always use as much detail as he can to get you scared before you even start the battle. That's the order we're finding this coming in. You will have a battle. You will have a choice to make and the devil will scare the crap out of you. Before you even start. Number eight, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come down to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Notice who Goliath was. He was a Philistine. In other words, he was a worldly choice. He was something other than God. Not one who belonged to Yahweh. Not one who was most likely made, or this guy was most likely uh, the after of uh, fallen angels that came out of heaven where Genesis tells us that they intermingled with people. They had children, giants were born. So he's in that line. And Philistine comes from the word Philistia, Philistia, which is where we get Palestine. It's all the people of the area that should have been drove out that the Israelites didn't drive out. If he is able to fight with me in number nine and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and you'll serve us. You must make a choice of who you're going to serve, God or the world. 
Where do we place our faith and our trust? Number 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear must not take over your battles. Fear cannot dictate how to live your life. Fear cannot be a part of who you are. These two groups here, these two groups here are the same grouping of people that you see happening today between Palestine and Israel. This isn't new. This is thousands and thousands of years old. And it happened in a, in a Middle Eastern country long, long ago. So sometimes it's hard for us to understand this. But both sides believe that they are basing their thoughts on God and on religion. But fear is experienced here. And you're going to have fear when a battle comes up. The next several verses, all the way down to verse 33, talk about how all the fighters were too afraid to go. But we come to 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight for him, but you're a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. Stop allowing the world to tell you who you are. You are not weak. You are not the least. You can overcome anything that you are battling today or tomorrow. The only thing that we see here is that the world's going to tell you you can't do it. You yourself may tell you yourself, I can't do it. But that's not what happened here. Verse 34, David said to Saul, his response, his choice. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and, uncirc- and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and delivered me from the hand of the Philistine. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what God has done for you in the past. Trust that he's going to do it again for you in the future. Do you know who you are? And the Philistine moved forward, 41, verse 41. He came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked at David, he disdained him for he was youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The world will disdain you or despise you. Stop letting it affect who you are. Amen. 43. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you've come at me with sticks? And the Philippine cursed David by his gods, little g. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds and the air and to the beasts of the fields. If you're listening to who the world says that you are, you will be depressed. You will feel defeated. You will always live your life with hopelessness and sadness. 45, David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defiled. What's going on here? David knows who he is. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And the earth may know that God is in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it to your hand. David not only knows who he is, he knows who the battle belongs to. 
That's what we have to understand first is like the battle that we're going through is not even ours to begin with. When the Philistine arose, he came near, drew near to David. David ran quickly towards the battle line. 48, David ran quickly towards his battle to meet the Philistine. Notice what God's word says here, that he ran quickly towards the battle. He knows that Goliath was not a, that he was a Philistine and he was not a Hebrew. I'll say it again. He knew that he was a Philistine. The battle was not of God. The battle was of, uh, in front of him. The Philistine was not of God, but he knew who he was. He was a Hebrew. He was a child of God. So he was going to this battle. That's why he ran quickly towards the battle. He didn't run away from the battle because he knew who he was. Romans 8.31 says that, what then shall we say to all these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Are we living a life of faith or fear? Or are we waking up every day with the confidence knowing that we are a child of God starting our day out, not with defeat, but we're going to start our day out in victory in the name of Jesus. It's already finished. He already did it. You see, Jesus is coming back for a remnant. Who is that remnant? What is the remnant church? A remnant means it's the remains of an original body or substance. It's a little piece of something bigger. In reference to God's people, it means that those who are faithful to his original truth without apostasy, which is walking away, or opposition. Isaiah 1.9 says, except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have been like Sodom and we should have been like under Gomorrah. Among these professing religious faith, the remnant is relatively a small minority. Romans 9, 27 says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sands as the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Did you know that God knows that there'll be more people going to heaven than there is hell? He already knows it. Why? Matthew 7, 13 to 14, enter by the narrow gate, period. Now the words tell us enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. There's a story in the book of Acts called, and it has to do with the seven, uh, sons of Sceva. Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits because they had seen and heard what Paul was doing. They went up to this possessed man and he said, I adjure you by the name, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. But the evil spirit answered, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Didn't recognize him. So that begs me to ask this question again. Do you know who you are? The possessed man with the evil spirit leaped on them, beat the junk out of them, and left them naked and wounded. You won't find those words in your version. but And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. It became known to the Jews and the Greek and fear fell upon all of them and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. You see, when you know who you are, the world will come to know Jesus as well. Acts 19, 15, remember what he said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? What kingdom do you belong to is what he's saying. Would an evil spirit today know who you are? Would you leave that fight triumphant or would you leave it busted and broken down like many people already are in the world today? Are you ready to be the change you see in the world? 
embrace your destiny and be the salt and the light to those around you. I said to go out and be called to, to be a cultural changer. And it started here in Rome. So we have to ask, am I the light? Am I the salt? Or am I no different than those people? When people come around me, do they see and hear and recognize that I am different than what they have? Matthew 5, 13 and 14 says, you are the salty earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except for be thrown down and trampled under people's feet. So you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's God's word telling us. When you know who you are in Christ, the world will take notice. Amen? They will see the light. You will be the flavor. But if you don't know who you are, you've lost your taste. You are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's what God's word says. 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light and of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There will be many that never see the light, but that doesn't mean we stop being the light. We have to keep going. If we don't know who we are, then we're no different. We may be no different in the world. We can't change it. We can't change culture around us if we're no different than culture. We don't have anything. They already have, if we're doing what they're doing, they already have it. We need to stop embracing our natural DNA and start embracing our spiritual DNA. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are the blood-bought child of the living God. You are a son and daughter of the most high king. Stop saying you can't. Stop saying that you can't get that job. Stop saying you won't pass that test. Stop denying you have the ability to win in life. Quit believing that you are nothing, no one, and not as good as someone else. You don't need somebody to tell you that you are somebody. Amen? Jesus Christ thought well of you enough to die on the cross before you were saved. He didn't die because, oh, well, you know, they got it all together. He looked and said, look how bad they are. I need to die. So how do we do it? What is the Bible? Who does the Bible say you are? The Bible says that when you get saved, you are loved. It says you are accepted. It says you are a child of God. You are a friend of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus, sharing his inheritance with him. You are united with God. You are one with him in spirit. You are the temple of God. His spirit and his life lives in you. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a saint. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are complete in Christ Jesus. You are free from condemnation. You are a new creation in Christ. You are chosen by God. You are holy and dearly loved. You are established, you are anointed, you are sealed by God. You do not have the fear of, uh, you do not have the fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You have direct access to God. You are chosen to bear fruit. You are God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. You have been giving exceedingly great and precious promises by God, by which you share in his nature. You can always know the presence of God. You can go to the presence of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will stand by you. You can ask for his wisdom. He will give you the things you need. You are righteous of God. You are, you are the head and not the tail. You are a part of a church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Stop embracing your natural DNA and start believing in your spiritual DNA. You see, when you give your life to Christ, you are not what you used to be. You are now royalty. You are a part of a royal family. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That long list that I did, that was just scratching the surface of who you are. Now, who do you say that you are when you wake up in the morning? God chose you. You are part of his family, and you can now proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that dark and negative world of mind battles. Do not be conformed of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. To live an effective Christian life, you have to know and believe who you are in Christ. It's finished. Let the lies and the questioning go. Let the fear and the anxiety go and say, I don't accept it. Understanding your identity in Christ is crucial to living as life God intended you. The best way to renew your mind and experience inner transformation is by knowing, thinking, and speaking out loud who you are in Christ. Write them on some, on some cards, index cards. Put them on that mirror when you get in the bathroom. So the first thing you see is your ugly self. The next thing, amen. The next thing, it says you are beautiful in the name of Jesus. Put the verses there. Speak them out. Meditate on them. But don't be afraid to speak the word out. I am someone. I am a child of God. I am of royalty. Now, I didn't say, now don't say I am prideful. Be careful. We're not, you don't take all this and say I'm better than everybody else. You take all this and say I want you to be like that too. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Train yourself to say the same things that God says about you in the word. I didn't make them up. I didn't make that list up. I've got every Bible verse for that. I just figured it would take too long to give it to you. So if you want, if you want the Bible verse, I'll give it to you. Train yourself every day. Become your own cheerleader. Become your own coach. Tell yourself the right things every day and in every circumstance. Because I'm telling you right now that Satan and his minions are never going to tell you the right thing. They are never going to tell you those things which are lovely. They are never going to tell you those things which are of good nature. It's always going to be the opposite. He's going to say you can't do it. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. You don't have what's necessary to get through there. Know right then that that's the devil. That is not of God because the word tells me something different. You can't go through life thinking that you are broke, busted, and disgusted and expect to find the glory of God because God will never be part of that kind of thinking. It's not of him. The downhearted thinking is straight of Satan and his minions. He knows that you are better. He knows that you, are, that you can do great and marvelous things if you know who you are in Christ. His glory awaits you, but you have to get into his glory. This glory isn't going to leave its place and come to you while you're dwelling in a misery mindset. And now a plug for Pastor Sarah's class. The glory of God, October 25. You don't want to miss it, and you definitely don't want to miss God's glory. Look at your neighbor and say, he just slipped in an infomercial. 
Coach yourself biblically every day on who you are and see what the Lord will do. Stir up the Holy Spirit in you. When you, when you start saying those things that you already are in Christ, he gets excited. And you'll start feeling that. And God's glory will... Mm. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no, will have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. There are many that want to be part of an exclusive club in this world, many of which are non-Christian and even satanic. But what about the Christian club? What about that club? What about the group of people that call themselves Christians? Does everybody know in that club who they are? Second Peter 3, 3 says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Though there's that, those that really know him are looking for him. Those that know him are looking for him. Are you looking for Jesus to return? We're told that he could come back at the return of any moment in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen today. It could happen in a minute. It could happen. That's right. It's over. Those that know him will go. Everybody else has got a seven-year tribulation that you do not want to be part of. I have come across so many Christians today that when I talk to them about the events going on in the world and this Israel-Palestinian two-state thing, they look at me like deer in the headlights because they don't know that part of the word. They aren't looking for God to come back. They say, well, they've been looking at that. They've been talking about that for years. This is Christians that are telling me this. I'm going, when I read that verse about in the last days, it'll be scoffers. I never thought that many of them will be Christians. You know, it didn't say, it didn't say to be Christians, but that's, you see, we must know who Jesus is to know who we are. And then we must put a hundred percent faith in him and zero percent into this world. Smith Wigglesworth in his book, ever increasing faith said this, you ask, is there any place for the enemy in one who has been baptized in the Holy spirit? Our only safety is in going on with God and is constantly being filled with the Holy spirit. You must not forget Demas. He must have been baptized with the Holy Spirit for he appears to have been on Paul's right-hand workers, but the enemy got to him to a place where he loved this present world and he fell away. 2 Timothy 4.10. There is life and perfect deliverance from this world. It's where God wants you to be so that you know who you are. If you find that your peace is being disturbed in any way, know that the enemy is trying to work. Because... God will give you peace. One of the last things that Jesus ever said before he left the earth was about peace. You think about when you leave somebody, usually we say, I love you, or I'll see you again. It's one of the most important things we say to a person when they leave or as you leave. Jesus decided to say, I leave you peace, not as the world gives you peace. A different peace. So if you find your peace is disturbed in anything or in this battle that you go through every day, then know it's not of God. So we can reach to him and we can get through that battle through him. Isaiah 23 or 26, 3. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
Do you trust him today? Is all your trust in him so you can have peace? Or do we have some trust in him, some trust in ourselves, and some into the world? How do we handle these battles? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that you won't go through battles, that you won't go through tests, that they won't keep coming, that there won't be worldly confrontations, but it's how we handle them is what matters the most. I'm not saying it's even going to be easy when you know who you are. There will be conflict and there will be battles continually. I had a battle on the way here to the church this morning. And in this, anxiety popped up, big anxiety. And I looked over, I was driving and I got ready to tell her what I was anxious about. And I said, I'm worried. That's all I got out before the Holy Spirit hit me in the back of the head. And here's what he said. What is your message title today? I thought he let me get out. I'm worried. And then reminded me, what are you preaching about? So I'm not saying that you won't have to keep going through it, but you have to be your own coach. As soon as he said that, I was like, I'm a child of God. Enemy or the, uh, the anxiety gone. Gone. Why? Because I did not embrace that thought. It has no place. Now, when you go through it and you try to change the culture, the world's going to hate you. John 15, 18 to 20 says that the world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's Jesus. If you were of this world, the world would love you as your own. You see, if we're no different than the culture, then we can't change the culture. Because if you were of the world, the world would love you as your own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world. Therefore, the world hates me. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Luke 21, 12 says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and they'll persecute you. They will deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons and you will be brought before the kings and governors for my sake. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. You see, this is what's going on with Israel and Palestine right now. It's a land deal. That's all it's about. Land. Because see, Israel found their peace in the land. They were promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, were, they left Egypt. They got to Canaan. They got to Israel. And they were supposed to take the land. All of it was not taken. So now you have a merging of different cultures. And here we are, thousands. All I'll say is that this has to be set up before we go back to see Jesus. It has to be set up before the end time. Israel is fighting Palestine. All the other countries are choosing sides. Right now, they're choosing sides, many against Israel. You see it in the colleges. You see them protesting in the different countries. And then now you have Russia getting ready to say, hey, we don't like what you did to, to Gaza and Iran and Lebanon. And all these places are going against Israel. It's scriptural. It's in the Bible. You want to see the news? Head to the back. It, and, or Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 38 war. It talks about the bear coming down from the north. That's Russia. This is going to happen. Why do I say this? In, in fact, I just heard yesterday, this is interesting because they're coming. There is, it, it said there is right now 2 million radical Islamic Muslims in Russia. 
I said, that can't be, two million? So I looked it up, did some research. There's actually 25 million Muslim, but they're looking and saying two million are radical Islamic Israel-hating Muslims. So how hard do you think it's going to be for Israel to look at those guys and say, do you want to go against Israel? Oh, they say, yeah, because what they do is they give their life for their God. They think they know who they are. So we have to know who we are, but we have to be careful in picking sides because like pastor said, there's innocent people in all the countries. We will always bless Israel because the Bible says in Genesis 12, three, those that bless Israel will be blessed and those that curse Israel will be cursed. But when you pick that side, you need to love everyone. Don't get caught up in hating people for the sake of a battle that's going on the news. Storms make us susceptible. They make us feel vulnerable, but they reveal who we really are. They reveal who we are. Uh, they reveal ourselves in the Lord. Alistair Begg says, we're not called upon to deny anxiety or run from it or ignore it. Instead, we are called to cast all our anxiety on God. That's who we're supposed to give it to. You see, you can't focus on the future if you're staring at the past. God has erased your past. In fact, the Bible tells us that our sins are cast into the depths of the sea and that our sins were once as scarlet like red, but now they're white as snow. They're as far as from the east to the west. God has forgiven you. No matter what it is that you may be thinking about constantly, let it go. He's already forgot about it. Look to the future because God is ready to bless you in what he has for you. God has a destiny for you, but you can only reach it if you know who you are in him. We said that the evil spirit said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? If you don't know who you are, they don't care who you are. But if you know who you are in Christ, Satan will know who you are. But in the last days, there will be itching ears. What do I mean? 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For a time comes when people will not endure sound doctrine and teaching, but have itching ears. Itching ears where they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to sit down to their own passions. Tell me it's okay that I can do this. Tell me it's okay that I can do this. Tell me it's okay that I can act like this. Instead of digging into God's word and seeing what God says. Let's look at our second example in the New Testament. Affirming sinful lifestyles may place you in a chicken trial. This can be anything that does not line up with the word of God. We must be continually studying his word so that we know what those things are. Peter was part of the in crowd. Remember, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he told him. But there was another part that Peter got out of the boat. Remember that story where he got out of the boat, but he looked at Jesus. And he said, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus spoke up and said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you. Peter replied, command me to come upon the water. Come, Jesus said. You see, Jesus knew who he was. He said, it is I. But I have to ask the question, did Peter know who he was? Because if he knew who he was, wouldn't he have just recognized the Lord, jumped out of the boat, ran over and give him a hug? He, he wasn't even sure if it was Jesus. Is it you? And his questioning. So in Mark chapter 14, we're given an account where Jesus then foretells Peter's denial. 
When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to him, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. Chicken trial. But he said, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. The Bible tells us that the next thing Jesus does is he goes and prays people that are with him. People that we would think that know who they are fall asleep. Jesus is praying and he's praying so hard drops of blood are coming from his eyes. This is what God's word tells us. And then all of a sudden he gets taken down to the council and he gets charged, but his followers are nowhere to be found. They've scattered. Then we come to verse 66. Peter denies Jesus. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were also one of the, with that Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. He says, I neither know nor understand. What do you mean? So they went out to another gateway and all of a sudden a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began uh, to say by the bystanders, this man is one of them. But he denied it again. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly, yeah, you're one of those Galileans. Has anyone ever had that happen? Oh, you're one of those Christians. Or or what we used to call closet Christians. Christians in here, but when we're out there, we button it up. Well, a rooster crowed again. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Affirming sinful lifestyles may place you in a chicken trial. If I can have the band come up and help me out. This is a situation where Peter may have not known again who he was. Because he would have stood up and said, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christ follower. This is what I stand for. Did Peter get up that morning and say, I'm one of his? Or did he get up and say, I'm not feeling it today? And a denial happened. You see, the Bible doesn't tell us how Peter died, but the most commonly accepted through scholars say that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome on an upside down cross. The reason that he asked for this is because he had denied his Lord and he did not consider himself worthy to die as Jesus died. Do you think Peter would have denied if he knew who he was? I don't mean if he knew who Jesus was. I mean, did Peter know himself? Did he know that he was a child of God and reaffirm himself every day? Matthew 10, says, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before the father who is in heaven. This to me is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Can you imagine being a person that thinks they know Christ? to get to heaven and he says I I don't know him your destiny is somewhere else forever and ever and ever 
to be separated from God. When you truly know and understand who you are in Christ, the world will change forever. Your old self can no longer live, but your newly created self in Jesus Christ will be what draws others to him. The reason so many people converted back then is because they saw that they were different. They saw Jesus was different. They treated people different. They stood up for what the word said. They stood up for the father. People took notice and said, I want to be part of that. You see, when you know who you are in Christ, it will cause others to want what you have. It will make the world want to come to Christ. It will cause you to be a cultural changer for God. Don't get stuck on the fact that Peter denied it. That's just a a part of it. Because you see, the Bible also reports that on the day of Pentecost when he was preaching, 3,000 people came to know Christ. It was probably more like 6,000 plus if you add in spouses and children. Who came? They normally only reported the men. So thousands of people came. It's okay to get over the past. It's okay to get get through the battles. It's okay to let those things go because God has let them go on. But now, this is what God's saying. That is who you were. This is who you are. And this is how you have to walk forward. The last time I spoke six months ago, I said that the world was going to change in six months. It's been three months. And a lot has changed already, and it's going fast. Don't ever underestimate what God can do with you if you are his and you know who you are. All because of what Jesus did on the cross. He did the hardest part. Now... It's our part to believe him enough, believe in him enough and what he did that we have confidence in telling others so that they might want what we have, so that they might want to believe and come to him. You are never alone, no matter how lonely you feel. God is with you. If you are saved, you are his. You belong to him. He is your father. He will walk with you. He will be with you. He will be with you in everything that you do and go through. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible tells us that no one can get to God the Father except through his son and Jesus because he died on that cross. That's because of what he did. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. When you take your last breath and we never know when it is, it's judgment time, but there's hope. There's easy hope. It's, it's Jesus. It's what he did. If you could stand to your feet.